Hi, everybody. Welcome to Spiniverse. I'm Rabbi Josh. I'm the executive director of Goucher Hillel. Let's go around and introduce ourselves. Hi, I'm Ryan. I am the co-chair of Goucher Hillel's Shabbat committee. My name is Leah, and I'm Goucher Hillel co-president. Oh, he, him, was me. Ryan, was she, her? Leah, also she, her. And we have a guest with us this week, Beth. Hi, I'm Beth Vanderstoop. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm the Goucher Hillel Global Jewish Life and Engagement Coordinator. We're here this week studying Vayakhel Pikude, which is special because it's a double Torah portion. Um, you get to read two of them on one Shabbat, so two for the price of one. Um, on a more serious note, and I think something really special, is um, we are doing this week's session in honor and memory of Maya Officer, um, who was a Goucher student who passed away in the fall. And uh, this was actually Maya's bat mitzvah portion. And just this past week, there was a memorial that Maya and her family and community held. Um, and uh, many people came and um, studied Torah in her name and, and uh, her family was touched that we wanted to do so as well. So we're doing that here. Uh, Maya's mom shared um, some of her bat mitzvah Torah, uh, Devar Torah with us. So I'll share a little bit from that when we get to the right point. Um, but it also happens to be International Women's Month and International Women's Day was earlier this week. So there's some themes we're gonna pick up on there. All kinds of stuff happening today. So let's just jump into the summary here. Anybody wanna go for it and read the summary of this double portion? Go ahead, Leah. I will. Summary, Moses teaches the rules of Shabbat. Moses asked the Israelites for a donation of gifts and those who are skilled help build the Mishkan tabernacle under the directions of Bezalel and Oholiab. Don't know if I pronounced that right. You got it. A statistical summary of the materials used for the tabernacle and account and an account of producing the priestly vestments are recorded. Moses blesses the Israelites for the work they did. Upon God's instruction, Moses sets up the Mishkan and the priests are anointed and consecrated. A description is given of a cloud that covers the Mishkan by day and a fire that burns by night, indicating God's presence therein. All right. Thank you. That's a lot. We're not going to do everything. We're going to focus in on a couple different moments here in this portion. But right toward the beginning, that whole thing about people contributing and the, the sense of contributions is where we're going to go next. Beth, you're our guest. Do you want to read this next part for us? Yeah, sure. Um, Exodus 35, 21 to 26. And everyone who excelled in ability and everyone whose spirit moved him came, bringing to Hashem his offering for the tent of meeting and, and for all of its service and all the sacral vestments. Men and women, all those who hearts, whose hearts moved them, all who would make an elevation offering of gold to Hashem it came bringing brooches, earrings, rings, and pendants, gold objects of all kinds. And everyone who had in his possession blue, purple, and crimson yarns, fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, and dolphin skins brought them. Everyone who would make gifts of silver or copper brought them as gifts for Hashem and everyone who had in his possession acacia wood for any of the work of the service, acacia wood for any work of the service brought that. And all the skilled women spun with their own hands and brought what they had to spun in blue, 
purple, crimson yarn, yarns, and in fine linen. All the women who excelled in that skill spun the goat's hair. All right. We're going to stop there. Go ahead, Leah. Quick note. Didn't they already use all their gold in the last portion to make the golden calf? Oh, what a good question. What a great question. I don't know. Any thoughts, anybody? Do you think they were holding back? Did they melt the calf down and like repurpose the gold? And then, because I know in the last portion, they like melted the gold and then put it in the water. So like the people who made the calf had to legitimately eat their words. Yep. <laughs> so... Um, there, there is some commentary on this that says not everyone participated in the building of the golden calf, that it was a pretty small part of the population, but because it, it was, I mean, it's, it's like when you're in, in the first grade and the teacher says, well, if one person talks, then you have to wait three more minutes until recess. And like Hashem was taking a paternalistic approach and saying, well, because a small percentage of you decided to do this, guess what? You all have to literally eat it. And so like other people had gold set aside. I've also heard commentary um, that um, there were many women, especially that didn't bring gold to the golden calf. And that's why Rosh Hodesh, is that the beginning of the new month is sacred for women. Very interesting, Beth. Thank you. All right. So there's some answers, some ideas. Um, but it is interesting that it's sort of like, I, I, I want to contrast this moment with the golden calf moment. Because thinking back to last week, Aaron's like, give me all your gold. And then there's two different versions of the story. What the people, what Aaron does, you guys, I think Ryan, you everyone described it last week. Forgive me if I'm wrong, if it was you, Leah, but about... Um, putting like a mold in the ground, in the sand and using it to make the calf or something like that. We talked about like the process by which they would have made that. But then when Moses comes down from the mountain, he's like, what's up? And Aaron's like, uh, I just threw this gold in the fire and out came a calf, right? Um, <laughs> so there's a sense of like, where's work sometimes? Like, because yeah, I've got, it took some work to make this calf, but like how much work and how many different materials it took to make this sanctuary, which is not only gold, right? So gold is a part of it. Definitely there's like gold that has to cover the altar and the cherubim and stuff like that we covered in like a Parsha a couple of weeks ago, but there's all this other stuff too, the dolphin skins that we were like, where did they get dolphin skins in the desert? I guess they had them. Seems to be trying to answer that question. Um, I think it's also, it's interesting striking that like, this is a part of the Torah that actually really mentions women explicitly, right? It doesn't subsume them under men. It talks about the role of women in this. Um, and it kind of goes back to Beth, to your point about Rosh Chodesh and like women's positive role in creating this idea of this tabernacle. Anything else strike you guys in this first part? I guess the past few weeks, as we've been talking about kind of like with the tabernacle and they've once again been bringing up and the dolphin skins and yada, I'm like, is that the real reason they were in the desert for so long? They kept going to look for dolphins. But um, <laughs> I think one thing I've been thinking about, I was like, it just makes no sense. But then I was kind of thinking about how in the Torah, they're often like, oh, and this person lived to be 800 years old. And one thing they're like, did they measure years differently? And that's why it appears that those, why they state that those people lived for so long. That is one thing I've heard before. And so I'm kind of wondering if 
say when they say like dolphin skins or whatever, it actually does mean something different, some desert dolphin equivalent that it really is. And that kind of like Torah meaning being kind of different from the meaning we have now because it is from so long ago, of course. Yeah, for sure. I think we talked a couple of weeks ago, we talked about it supposedly meaning a fish, like a dolphin fish that was supposed to be kind of like multicolored, like a sort of, um, I don't know, shiny kind of rainbowy sort of material, but that still would be a fish. So that wouldn't totally answer your question about the desert. Maybe it goes to your question about how they were wandering for so long, trying to get all this stuff. Maybe there were traders in the desert, who knows? Um, and what materials they had to carry things with them. Uh, you know, these are, these are good questions that I don't think we're going to find the answer for. Go ahead, Beth. So one interpretation that I've heard, and to me, this is the ter interpretation that makes most sense is, so I have a moleskin notebook. That doesn't mean that the makers of this notebook literally skinned a bunch of moles. Um, <laughs> that is just a term for this particular type of texture. I've heard that like dolphin skin probably isn't actually the skin of the dolphin, but rather a, but rather a textile that, you know, this was written by a this was written hundred. This uh, not hundreds. Like it was, it was written thousands of years ago. Like that, the translation is is pretty bad. And so it may be that, like, yes, it says dolphin skin, but it doesn't mean that they went out and like kept on ducking into the Red Sea to find dolphins. I think that would just statistically be. Um, quite inconvenient yeah i definitely think uh that would be hard um i think one of the things so i did want to bring up this portion i think the other thing that and this was reading maya's um devartor from bat mitzvah i was reflecting on was this sense of like giving it actually says uh, in a part that we didn't read like they gave so much moses had to stop them from giving like they just were giving so much and what does it mean to be giving like too much you know um but it's it's interesting because I do think it, it sort of has something to do with the idea of tzedakah and like, what do we do to give to others and service? Um, because unlike the golden calf where everybody's just giving gold, right? Everybody here is giving something different. Everybody has a part of a gift that becomes part of this tabernacle that it takes all of those parts to become the whole. Um, and the same way, I think each of us has particularly, and this is what Maya had shared in her promise, but like some different um, ways that we have our own way to give in terms of service. We, we have communities that we're connected to. We have particular talents or dollars or time or whatever it is that we can give to others. And um, you know, it's not upon us to complete the labor, but each of us has to at least take a small part, a paraphrase they're saying. Uh, and I kind of like that idea, you know, that um, even though we're not making any tabernacles right now, we are, we are engaged in service to others. Go ahead, Leah. Um, I was going to say also when you're talking, it made me think about how in Judaism, like, yes, are these mitzvahs you're supposed to do, but when it comes to your well-being and your life, that always is what you're supposed to put first. So that kind of ties into the idea of not giving too much of being like people wanting to give everything they have, even the things maybe they need like for themselves. But I mean, like, no, because people are also kind of like God created the people. So God is like, you need the things to take care of yourself. Also, you can't give all right. your things in appreciation of me and not take care of yourself. Right. And that goes back to that thing where God says it's enough. Right. I think that I appreciate that. Yeah. Ryan, go ahead. 
kind of jump off of that point, a kind of a trend I've noticed when we're studying Torah or anything is that when it comes to, as Leah said, making offerings for God, like it's very voluntary and he's very like, give only what you can take care of yourself. And then sort of in all other aspects, like man helping man or anything like that, it's like, give it your all. You got to like push through and do it. And I think that's kind of interesting Um, Because in a sort of related way, but also kind of not really, like there are the levels of sadaka, right? And like the most, the highest one I think is like, you don't know who you're giving to and the person you're giving to doesn't know where it came from. Um, And I think that's kind of what's a little bit like happening here. Like at the end of the day, sort of looking at modern day context, we don't really know if God exists. Like there's no super duper concrete proof. Like from a scientific standpoint, there's no scientific evidence to say God exists, but we still give a lot to him. And I think in sort of a weird way, that's an interesting sense of charity and tzedakah. And it's sort of one of the highest levels because we don't, at the end of the day, really know who we're giving to, what we're giving to, if anybody. Um, And we also kind of don't know what we're getting in return. We don't know if something good will happen to us because of it or something bad will happen to us because of it. And I think it's a really interesting, like, way to look at the one of the levels of Sadaka. And it sort of, like, came to me as I was, like, reading this, and it says, men and women, all whose hearts moved them. It wasn't like, you have to do this. It's like, if it's in your heart, if you feel like you want to, you should. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Um, all right. So uh, in terms of looking at ourselves, well, that kind of is my segue to this next verse here. Just one little verse here. And this was uh, something that I heard from, from a rabbi that spoke the other day at the, the Torah gathering in honor of Maya. Um, There's a rabbi, Felicia Saul, who shared this verse and a midrash on it. So let's read this. This is, this is a really interesting one. I think it's kind of juicy and you'll get into it. All right. Um he made the laver of copper and its stand of copper from the mirrors of the women who performed tasks at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Uh, so Rashi's thoughts. The Israelitish women possessed mirrors of copper into which they used to look when they adorned themselves. Even these did they not hesitate to bring as a contribution towards the tabernacle. Now Moses was about to reject them since they were made to pander their vanity, but the Holy One, blessed be he, said to him, accept them. These are dearer to me than all the other contributions because through them, the women reared those huge hosts in Egypt. For when their husbands were tired through the crushing labor, they used to bring them food and drink and entice, induced them to eat. Then they would take the mirrors and each gazed at herself in her mirror together with her husband saying endearingly to him see i am handsomer than you thus they awakened their husband's affection and subsequently became the mothers of many children it's all right this is a good one i told you it's juicy yeah And it is said, I awakened thy love under the apple tree, referring to the fields when where the men worked. This is what it refers to when it states, Josh, you want to give me a hand here? Yeah, marot hatsov ot. It's sort of a wordplay here. The mirrors of the women who reared the hosts. Svaot, which means hosts. Cool. So the whole Midrash, this whole story is based on a, a pl- wordplay on that word. But it goes back to this whole question of um, what was going on in Egypt because, you know, Pharaoh had had this edict. First, it was, you know, kill all the 
the boys, the baby boys. And there's another midrash about Miriam that first Moses's parents actually like divorced and that Miriam actually convinces them to get back together and, and says, you know, Pharaoh decreed only against the boys. You've decreed against all of the Israelite children being born girls too. And from that reunion of them, once Miriam made that very cogent argument, Moses was born. <laughs> and that's where we got Moses from. And then there's this other story here that talks about, again, like the kind of the, okay, like you, we were living in slavery and you would think that you wouldn't really have time for intimacy, living relationships and children being born. But like, no, these women were sort of like paying attention to this too. And then because of that, these mirrors are then used in this very holy place in the tabernacle. So again, a juicy, interesting idea about women's leadership in a very different era than ours, right? Um, but uh, just your thoughts about that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I really like this interpretation. Like I understand that it's very fitting for the time, but this interpretation somehow feels like super revolutionary feminist, but also really sexist. Like women are important because they give birth. And it's like, I would almost look at this like, so we're kind of taught that we're created in God's image. I would think mirrors would be holy because sort of when we gaze into them, we're in a very weird way connecting with God. And I think that would make them very holy. And that would be like a very good reason to have them be in the production of the tabernacle. But instead, Rashi's like, nope, they bear children. That's why women are important. That's what we need women for. And I'm like, friend. I see where you're trying to be a feminist, but you just, you, you didn't go the right way. And so like this interpretation of it, I do not like. Granted, I understand that Rashi is like, woo, Rashi. And I do have respect for him. But this interpretation makes me very uncomfortable and I do not like it slash do not agree with it. All right, you speak your truth and we listen. Leah, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say at the beginning when Moses was gonna say, no, the mirrors are made for vanity. I thought God was gonna be like, well, these are something that's important to them and they're sacrificing them for me. And so it is meaningful, but then just get like this whole weird thing where it's like, Oh, it's the mirrors. They look at themselves and they're gorgeous. And then they have babies. So the mirrors are great. I just thought that was very strange and kind of like Ryan was saying a lot of the things that like in Judaism, women are valued, but a lot of the time it is about like, having babies, especially because Judaism is passed down through the mother for all kinds of weird reasons that I'm not going to get into there. Um, but <laughs> it's definitely one of those situations where it's like back backwards feminism where like a male who doesn't actually understand feminism or female empowerment tries to write empowered female characters and does it very badly but of course like this is very old like you said ryan um so i guess they're like trying their best but i don't think it aged well swing and a miss <laughs> so what I think is particularly interesting about this midrash, and I say I, I also uh, want to put myself into context here. I, I identify as as a religious woman. Um, I, I identify as a on 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 somewhere on the orthodox conservative uh, spectrum, um, and so like in in my life, also especially because like I'm getting married soon. Um, there is this like conversation about like, 
so are you going to cover your hair after you're married? Because that is very much a, a, an important tradition in my community. And like, there's lots of different ways that uh, people, that people in my community ob observe this. And so when I, when I think about that, I, I sort of like think about what we're reading here and like how Judaism walks this very interesting line between on one hand saying like, you need to be modest. You need to, uh, you, you need to limit, limit your beauty, so to say, but also at the same time, like you should celebrate, you should celebrate who you are and you should celebrate um, the physical aspects of yourself. Judaism is a very physical tradition. Um, and so like how this, this commentary is like kind of like towing that line. It's like talking about like, well, how, how is Rashi, who is this 13th century French dude, um, like seeing women, like, is he seeing them as people? And as uh, and looking at them for like their good their 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 good deeds and like how um, like these uh, brave uh, oh eleventh century thank you um, and like how these brave women like saved the Jewish people and like how um, they uh, continued to uh, have to make sure that Judaism continued uh, even through slavery or is Rashi talking or is he basically objectifying women I think it's I think that we can kind of go either way with this uh, part of comment with this commentary. I'm going to go the objectification route because here's here's what I want to know. And I don't know if there's an answer to this. What about the mirrors that belong to women who can't bear children? Mm. What about those women? Are they included? Are their mirrors still holy if they like add them to the tabernacle? Are they still considered valuable in this century of Judaism if they can't bear children? What does that look like? So I think Rashi in trying to be sort of a feminist in the sort of the 11th century way that you could kind of be a feminist, he just ended up like excluding this really important and existing group of women. Like, you're going to tell me that the in, in, in the entire host of Jewish people wandering the desert, all the women were magically able to bear children? I, I don't think that's very likely. So I'm, I'm a little, like, I have some questions. Like, basically, what about the mirrors of women who couldn't bear children? Yeah, Beth's point, and you talking about the decision whether or not to cover your hair made me think of this. Um, my freshman year, I did a project in a class about feminism about women in Judaism and kind of what the term strong Jewish woman meant. And a big part of it was kind of making the decision for how you wanted to be Jewish and creating that identity and meaning for yourself through traditions that you chose to partake in that were meaningful to you and kind of creating your own meaning. Um, because like a lot of people would say, as a strong Jewish woman, I feel like what makes it special to me is that as a woman, there are these different mitzvot that apply to me and not to men. And I think that was really interesting. So it kind of made me think of this in terms of the mirrors again, with like, that's what was meaningful. They felt was meaningful to them. That's what they had in terms of 
their own possessions, because I think it's pretty likely that these women were not able to have many possessions that were explicitly their own. So what was meaningful to them was doing that. Um, and I think the fact that Moses wanted to reject them is very frustrating and kind of kicking them out of this tradition because like, oh, it's from vanity, but it's what was meaningful to them to give and what they had to give. So I thought that was interesting as their way of connecting and it not being meaningful because it helps them bear children or whatever, but meaningful because it was something that it was what they chose to use to participate in what little they really probably were allowed to have that truly belonged to them. So I think meaning kind of comes from what you decide meaning is, what mean, what's meaningful to you rather than some like list, like this is important and this is why. I, I love all of your takes. And you know what? These and these and these are all words of the living Torah, I gotta say, because I think that each of your takes takes in so your own perspectives and those, pers and I just appreciate you hearing, you know, what each of you are given on this one. Um, we're moving to the last little piece here. And uh, just want, this is like the last piece of the entire book of Exodus. Um, so that's kind of special because at the end of reading a book of the Torah, we can say a special phrase, which we'll say together, which is kind of a nice little ritual we can do. Um, so um, it's about the uh, tabernacle moving. This whole thing is basically, uh, you could call it like a God GPS, God positioning service, I don't know. Um, <laughs> how the people are supposed to go in the desert. This also maybe explains a little bit of the 40 years here. Um, so I'll read this piece. Um, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the presence of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the presence of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on their various journeys. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out until such time as it did lift. For over the tabernacle, a cloud of the Lord rested by day and fire would appear in it by night in the view of all the house of Israel throughout their journeys. What I think is particularly special is like, to me, um, yes, that the tabernacle like moved with them, but um, in, 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 in the Agata, in, in the commentary that will show up much, much later in the story about the fall of the second temple, it talks about how after the second temple left, the spirit of Hashem, the spirit of God went with the people. To me, this is a beautiful reminder of like that holy presence has always been with us. And like that cloud um, has always been with us. And so um, it wasn't just this thing that was like, oh, I guess that we have, I guess that, I guess we have a temple now. Um, and it's like, this is, to me, this is like very much foreshadowing the diaspora and the future of Judaism. Go ahead, Ryan. On a very not serious note, I really liked what you said, Beth, but this is the first thing that popped into my mind when I read this. I was like, God's being really petty is he taking a day off that like he's not gonna lift and let them walk is he just gonna chill there and be like not today i don't feel like moving y'all are gonna stay here if i'm staying y'all are staying and that's just really what i'm picturing <laughs> like oh the cloud said we can't move we're not gonna move and i just think it's the funniest thing to picture i know that's not where this was going and i know that's 
probably not the interpretation they were going for, but that's all I'm picturing as I, all I was picturing as I read this. The cloud said we're not going to, so we're not going to. All kinds of jokes we can have. Ben's being a real drama queen. He really is. I truly, truly, truly love those interpretations. I was going to say, you know, if they were looking for directions, they're somewhere in the cloud. Um, uh, bad joke. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 and it's interesting, going back to your interpretation, Beth, I might or may not have recently watched Thor Ragnarok. I don't, I don't want to spoil it for any of you who didn't, but let's just say there's a whole thing about where where is Asgard? Is it at the people or is it at the place, you know? Um, so I think there's there's this idea of like moving, you know, and we're moving along. We've moved from halfway through the book of Exodus. Now we're going to enter the next book, which is Vaikra, which is Leviticus next week. So if we want to attempt to do this over Zoom, we can say this phrase together, which ends the book of the Torah. All right. On three, everybody. One, two, three. Chazak, chazak, venit chazak. Be strong, be strong, and we shall be strengthened. All right, everybody. It's been a great week of uh, Spinniverse. We will see you next week. Shabbat shalom. Have a good one. Spinniverse is a production of Goucher Hillel. If you'd like to look at the text that we've been studying today, take a look at the link in our episode description. Have a wonderful week.